0: to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim, I am your host, and we are very excited to welcome you to our new studio here. Uh, You are watching the first episode of season five of the Impact Nations podcast, and all this season we're going to be studying the book of Matthew. This week, Steve is going to be giving us a general overview, uh, a good introduction, probably the next two or three weeks are going to be an introduction. This week, he's really teaching us how do we approach this gospel of Matthew. Uh, In about 45 minutes, we're also going to sit down right here and engage in some of your questions. So if you have questions, comments during the teaching, I would encourage you, write those right into the YouTube comments. If you're listening to this later, uh, write them into YouTube comments, or if you're listening on the audio, you can email us at podcast at impactnations.com, and we'll discuss those questions next week for you. So uh, now, without further ado, here is the Gospel of Matthew.
1: Hi, Steve Stewart here. Uh, we're beginning our fifth season of podcasts, and uh, we're in a new room. I, I'm looking around. I don't see my New Mexico picture behind me. I don't have the little tripod with the phone. We we actually have a, a better setup now, and uh, this is our first one, so we're kind of learning as we go, but I'm delighted, delighted to be with you. I have been looking forward to this moment Uh, for many weeks. Um, We're going to teach for the next few months on the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, why do I want to do that now? It's because we're in a time of great turmoil. Uh, there's, There's division in our society that I have never in my lifetime A witness before a political, racial, economic—we've on top of that—we've got this global pandemic, and it's it's collided into this perfect storm. And it seems, to a a large degree, I would say sadly, that the North American church has been swept up in this, and they've taken their eyes off of the centrality. Of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom. We've taken our eyes off what Jesus actually did and actually said and actually taught. We've been caught up. We've been distracted by the same thing as the world, and it's come into the church. Uh, I've been doing a a lot of media interviews um, because of of a book that I did a few months ago, and in every interview— they ask me many different questions, but there's one common question. What is going on in the church? Why so much uh, dissension and division? You know, we feel like this is absolutely unique to us and to the church, but remember, in Jesus' day, in his ministry, he was talking to a people who, who just like us, were in the midst of great economic Uh, political, social turmoil. They were, after all, an occupied nation. And it was to these people that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Keep your eyes on the kingdom. Uh, The writer to Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus. This, I believe, is the time for us to realign our hearts, our lives, our thought patterns, uh, according to what Jesus said and thought and taught <laughs> this is a time for us to be grounded in the gospel this is a time for us to go really really deep into the gospel i've said before that you know i i read through the bible once a year but for over 30 years now i'm in the gospels every single day and why is that I, I, I learned from all of Scripture. I learned from Moses and Isaiah and James. But I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm learning, lifelong learning, to follow Jesus. And it, as I read the Gospels day after day, year after year, they take me, take me deeper into him and, and at the same time, higher, I, I think, lift up your eyes and see is what Jesus said in John 4, that, that we get more of an eternal perspective. So over the past couple of months, I felt a real urgency, uh, specifically to dig more deeply into Matthew's gospel than ever before. I really feel like the Holy Spirit just kept bringing this back to me and back to me. and and as He leads me further into this, going deeper, i'm I'm beginning to think that there is no end to the depths of the Gospels that that they're infinite there seems to be passages and verses that I've been reading for 44 years are still revealing new understandings and new insights and so this this journey stays fresh i've had a few people not many but a few said don't you kind of go get stale reading the gospels every day well if i was just reading them In the power of my own reasoning, I think surely I would have years ago, but the Spirit of God breathes upon them, and I believe as we go deeper and deeper into the Gospels, they reveal not only more about Jesus, but more about the Trinity. The early church fathers, and uh, I am drawn so much from them over the last four or five years especially, but they believed— that the richness in the scripture was inexhaustible that that every verse every passage had multiple meanings and uh, these meanings build one upon the other in other words they saw a three-dimensional not a two-dimensional scripture so that's why i feel like we need to press into the gospels right now but why particularly matthew after all there's four of them matthew's gospel is, is the first, and it's been called the single most important document in the entire New Testament. For the first three centuries of the church, Matthew was the most highly revered and most quoted gospel of all. It was taught to every new believer as a, as a catechism, as a, as a manual for life, as a, as a follower of the Jesus way. And you know, without exception, we've got it in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Without exception, going back to the earliest days, Matthew was always first in, in the order of what's called the canon. Matthew is really interesting because it's a bridge, uh, to the Old Testament. It, uh, Matthew purposely talks about fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy through the whole book. Sixteen times he specifically says, he'll, he'll say something that happened or something that Jesus did, and then he'll say that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken. There's 54 direct Old Testament quotations. Matthew is telling us that all of salvation history culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew is the, is the fullest, the most systematic account of the birth and the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's interesting because he uses so many terms, but Matthew specifically records Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Son of David— as the son of Abraham, in that order, by the way, and we'll get into why in a couple of weeks, as the son of man and supremely as God. Matthew's often referred to as the most uh, Jewish go- of the Gospels, it, it is the Jewish Gospel. But as I've studied it, I think this is somewhat misleading, uh, because along the way, all the way through the Gospel, Matthew's laying a pattern. Uh, It begins with the the record of Jesus' Gentile descendants, and we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. It's fascinating. Um, It says that in chapter 4 that that Jesus comes from Galilee of the Gentiles. Again, we're going to see next week, or in two weeks, the incredible difference and significance of the geography, why, why Galilee and Jerusalem in particular are so different. So it begins with Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus says that people are going to come from all around the world while the Jews will still choose to be rejected. Uh, Matthew 8, 11 says this, I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We see uh, episodes, we see a Canaanite woman is commended for her faith in contrast to the Jewish leaders. You see, ultimately, Matthew moves from the very ethnocentric faith of the Old Testament that God's purpose is is all about and confined to Israel. It moves us from that starting point into a Christocentric faith that embraces the whole world. And in case we don't get it, he finishes with the climax. The last three verses of the gospel are the Great Commission. There's another more personal reason for me closely studying Matthew. from my earliest days as a believer, Matthew has drawn me in it makes me feel more than any other uh, book in the Bible that i'm I'm an eyewitness. Uh, it's written in such a way as as to draw me into what is happening as if it is in real time I can I can close my eyes and imagine scenes that are set as if I'd seen them through, through all of Matthew's gospel. I think if we will let it over these coming months, this gospel will draw us both into the depths of Christ and up to a heavenly perspective. You know, more than any other gospel, Matthew has been, for me, been my model for ministry. Over the decades, uh, first as as a church planter and local pastor, and now to the nations. More than any other, Matthew is my model for ministry. You know, one of my life messages for just about 40 years now has been the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at that a little bit in a couple of weeks, and then we'll be looking at it throughout the gospels, throughout the gospel. But but the, it is Matthew that led me into this life message of the kingdom. So, let's take a couple of minutes. I've sometimes thought of the image of a a diamond or a a precious gem that as you turn it, you see new facets. You see things that you you couldn't see before. So, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John. And in all four evangelists, which are the writers of the gospels, they all shared a different perspective. You know, Matthew and John were eyewitnesses. They were they were there and they wrote from what they saw. Mark was a uh, a disciple uh of Peter, and so he learned the gospel from Peter and from Peter's perspective. Luke, who traveled with with Paul, what he did is he says in in both luke and in acts he gathered uh, the remembrances of people who had been there and seen jesus firsthand so they get four different perspectives of jesus and this was expressed prophetically and we're going to see a lot about the connection between old and new testament as we're on this journey but but there's there's uh a vision that God gave Ezekiel, and then four or five hundred years later to uh, to John in Revelation. In Ezekiel, he writes, As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle. I, I, it's clear to me that uh, the beloved disciple— in revelation was seeing the same thing he writes around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion the second like an ox the third the creature of with a face like a human face and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle from the very earliest days uh, the church fathers and indeed the early church itself recognized that, that these verses depict the various aspects or views of Christ. And with some variation, generally, this is how they understand them. The face of the lion is Matthew the Lion of Judah. Matthew is the most kingly presentation of the four gospels. It stresses Jesus' great authority. We're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. The second, the ox is is Mark. And I really think this is clear to me because Mark stresses Jesus' actively serving and ministering there's a lot less teaching there's more miracles it's interesting 41 times mark writes the word and immediately so there's a there's this serving activity the third uh like a man is luke luke is the most the most universal the most social of the gospels read what's called the magnificat luke chapter 1 um Starting at, I think, verse 46, uh, you'll see this incredible uh, passion for, for society. And the fourth, like an eagle, of course, is John. John written more than anything from a, an eternal perspective. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, the church has seen the differences in the details of their accounts, because if we're honest, there's differences, but they haven't seen them as a deterrent or a distraction, but as an enhancement. The early church insisted that the Bible speaks with a single voice, and we're going to look a little bit into that a few times over the next few weeks as to how that's so different from how... By and large, things have been presented to us. Any inconsistencies between their accounts were an invitation to probe deeper, to probe beneath the surface of the words and to penetrate that the spiritual reality of the text. Now, as I have read uh, a lot the last couple of months in preparation for this, um, I have been particularly impacted by one of the church fathers, John Chrysostom, who was uh, ministering uh, late in the 300s. He died, I think, in 407. And I'm going to quote him a few times over the next couple of minutes, because he insisted that the discrepancies added to the authenticity of the gospel itself. It reflects the difference of the writer's We all have had many times in our lives where we've heard more than one person give an account of a particular event or even a church service or a car accident, and there's discrepancies. That adds authenticity, he says. Uh, But he insists, Christostom, that, that all the Gospels agree on what is really important. So let me quote him. He says, this is what they agree on. That Christ became man, that he wrought miracles, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he ascended, that he will judge, that he hath brought in a law not contrary to the Old Testament, that he is a son, that he is only begotten, that he is the same substance with the Father. That's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a wonderful overview of uh, of the gospel, as Christostom lays it out. The four gospels uh, are more than historical, objective biographies. We read that way. We've been taught to read that way. But but the church fathers insist, and in fact the church insisted for 1,500 years, that they are theologically shaped and they're faith-based Reflections on the meaning of the life of Jesus of Nazareth—not just a narrative, a biography, but the meaning. Now, there's another aspect that I want to talk about, that might be somewhat foreign to some of us. As we go into Matthew's Gospel, I want to talk about the holiness of the gospel. You know, we're we live in a time where. Where everything's analytical, and we kind of take it apart. and you know, i was I was saying to Tim the other day that one of the church fathers said, not a church father, rather, pardon me, a twentieth century writer said that that whereas the church fathers saw the beauty of the whole, over the last two hundred and fifty years, we've gotten into analyzing and dissecting all the parts. He says it's much like a beautiful mosaic where the tiles are then lifted and just scattered randomly and suddenly the beauty is gone. I want to talk holistically about this gospel, that it's it's holy ground. You know, uh, many of our brothers and sisters from more liturgical backgrounds, whether it's Eastern Orthodox or Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, that in all of those services— and I always kind of appreciate this that that when the gospels are read, everyone stands. It's just a recognition. This is this is holy ground. You know, all scripture is inspired. Paul made that clear. But the gospels are a little bit like the pinnacle of uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, the entire mountain was holy. Uh, the people were to stay away from it. Um, but it was the glory of God that came down on the peak, on the pinnacle. And that's where he met with with Moses. I think the Gospels are like this. I think that it's all Holy Scripture, but there's something that's like the pinnacle in these Gospels. A key to greater understanding of the Gospel is to enter it with a sense of awe. I think that's so important. I think it's so important we we have been trained largely especially many of us who've come from a a more uh, evangelical background to see this scripture as, as flat to see every every scripture is equal I don't believe that and and I think that the that that we're coming into holiness with this gospel. The church fathers spoke when they said when you when the gospel is read it's like you're on the threshold of the king's palace. It's like you're the on the edge of the ocean. Let me read a couple of passages, pretty well known, but <clears throat> I want us to connect at a heart level with them. When, when presented, um, with when, when Isaiah and then later, the beloved disciple John presented with the holiness of God. And i like us to have that in our hearts as we go into Matthew. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. Imagine that vision. We read it so often, it, we can just kind of pass over it. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I said, Woe is me, I'm lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, John, the beloved disciple, had known Jesus with incredible intimacy. There's that, there's that scene in, in the upper room in John 13 where he lays his head on Jesus' chest. But when he saw, years later, who the Lord really is, he was struck with both awe and fear. Revelation. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Then I turned to see whose voice it was— Uh, "'That spoke to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, "'and in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, "'clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest, "'and his head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow, "'his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, "'refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters.'" And in his right hand he held stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining with full force. And when I saw him, he did not put his head on his breast. He says, I fell at his feet as though dead. He felt fear and awe, they both did, because their eyes were opened to see the holiness of God we'll look weeks from now in Matthew 17 the transfiguration and suddenly they're trying to find words he he glowed he was brighter than than any launderer could make clothes it said and uh they saw him for who he really is it's like the veil of his of his humanity was lifted to his eternal true self and it says they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. We can look at the history. We can look at the meaning of the words, the phrases, the sentences. We can compare verses from this gospel to that gospel. We can study what theologians have had to say over the centuries, and we will. All of this is helpful and important as we study this gospel. But this kind of a study and perception alone will not take us into a place of wonder and of revelation. Back to Christostom. He said that our starting point in approaching the gospel is that we are entering into holy ground, and I quote, "Yea, for we are on the point of entering into a city.'" if God will permit, a city of God more precious than gold. The early church approached Matthew with holy reverence. They approached it believing that there were great treasures to be received, to be unearthed and received. I always think of Matthew thirteen forty four. the kingdom of God is like a man who discovered a treasure in a field. But they believed that those treasures did not come by taking away all the mosaic tiles, but by revelation. Folks, this is a great contrast with the basic assumption of what's called the historical critical method. I'll explain that in a minute. That the Bible can be understood through historical and literary analysis. Christostom admonishes the reader that's you and me, to enter into this gospel with great care, to, and I quote, yield up our hearts to the Spirit. I entreat you to follow us with much diligence so as to enter into the very ocean of things written with Christ for our guide at our entering in. The Church Fathers taught that Matthew must be approached experientially, And by that they meant mystically. We'll explain that too. That through Matthew's perspective, there is an invitation to enter into the deep things of God. I think this is my last Christostom quote. For there also, leading thee with the eyes of the Spirit, notice that, is one who offers to show thee all, even... This publican, which is Matthew, the tax gatherer, where to show you where the kings sit and who at his of his host stand by him, where there are angels and archangels and what places set apart for the new citizens in this city and what the way it is that leads hither. He is saying, if you will allow it to take you deeper and deeper, it will take you higher and higher. He tells us to enter this journey with a mystical silence. You know, he says, opening up Matthew's gospel is like an audience and there's a buzz and so forth in the auditorium. And then there's a quiet hush before the letters of the king are read to the audience. Suddenly there's a great attentiveness and anticipation. The church fathers insisted that these are not Matthew's words, but Christ's. So my hope is that we will see in Matthew's gospel an echo of of the angel's invitation to John to come up here. Now, I want to talk a little bit about reading the scriptures. We're going to go into this way more in-depth next week. We have a, a guest with us, a dear friend of ours, a Dr. Bradley Jerzak, and he's gonna gonna just open up things at a at a deeper level uh, on how to read the scriptures. But let me begin to get us thinking this way. We live in a society that, even as postmoderns, is still massively impacted by the worldview of the Enlightenment. Uh, The Enlightenment has saturated. Our universities for 250 years, the Enlightenment is the lens through which almost all media is presented. For 1,500 years, the Bible was understood through a a transcendent, a, a supernatural paradigm. But the Enlightenment assumed that the only thing that was real, the only thing that could be trusted, were the five senses that if if you couldn't uh, if you couldn't see it, you know, the five senses, uh, that that it was only the material that was real. This is huge for us, folks. It is only the material that is real. And secondly, they said, reason could be trusted, but revelation was suspect. By the beginning of the nineteenth century. This Enlightenment worldview, which came directly out of the Renaissance, this worldview overtook most of biblical interpretation. Uh, It's known as the historical critical method. We'll probably refer to that a few times in the coming weeks. And, and, And so the Enlightenment worldview began to saturate biblical interpretation, The historical critical method of reading and studying the Bible is it led to a reading of the Scripture that had a single correct meaning. If we study enough the history and the literary aspects, we can know the correct meaning. And what that led to was a very flat, two-dimensional reading of the Bible. Now, influenced uh, by the Enlightenment, this view of Scripture— excluded and excludes in many cases the supernatural. They just ignored it because, again, it isn't from reason but revelation. And they said, no, 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 it's got to be reason. And, in fact, uh, this view is, I would say, often anti-supernatural. So it couldn't deal with the transcendence, with the mystery of the Bible. So it just analyzed the mosaic tiles. It is almost impossible for me to overestimate the influence of the 19th century upon biblical studies right up to our day. We are so used to looking at the Bible through the historical critical context that we forget that the words of the Bible have a life beyond their original setting, their original meaning. Since the beginning of the Christian era, 2,000 years, the fathers insisted that there were multiple depths of meaning to be found in every verse, in every passage, that, that to use the analogy of digging for gold, it was there. The early church, part of their reverence, the holiness of Matthew's gospel, was they understood it was so much more than a historical narrative, that every part of it, every word, every phrase is a divine chronicle of revelation. Every verse is part of God's intention to disclose his purposes. The church fathers approached each text with the certainty that they were going to find a great deal of revelation in them. Now they didn't, they didn't discard study and and in fact they're they're brilliant. If you read if you read the various uh, uh, commentaries homilies, they're brilliant. They're brilliant. We often make the mistake, folks, of thinking that which was in the past is more simple than now. It's much like a teenager who suddenly thinks that they know an awful lot more than their dad. Um, but but. <sighs> They understood, they understood history. They knew the documentation, but their paradigm had not been changed by something that would come 1,600 years later, the Enlightenment. So, this is in, in sharp contrast, this looking for revelation to how we've had the scriptures presented to us. One of the foremost theologians of the early church was Origen. And he said this, the reason for the false beliefs and impious or ignorant uh, assertions about God appears to be nothing else than scripture not being understood according to its spiritual sense, but taken as regarding the bare letter. He said it again more positively when he wrote, the man who is capable of being taught by searching out and devoting himself to the deep things of God, can receive the spiritual meaning of the words of Scripture and become a partaker of all the doctrines of the Spirit's counsel. As together we study the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to learn how to read the Scriptures in such a way as to find depths of meaning that are waiting there for us. As I said, next week, we've got Dr. Bradley Jerzak, a a real friend of this ministry, coming uh, to give us some vital tools for this journey. As we're going to see in more depth, when we read the scriptures well, it's not either or. We are approaching them both literally and spiritually. Now, I've come to this series with a lot of excitement. To be honest, I have never in 40 years of teaching spent as much time preparing background information. The the topic has become more and more and more exciting and bigger and bigger to me. But I'm convinced that we're going to experience together a greater understanding and a greater revelation about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one to whom we've given our lives In this study, I've very intentionally drawn from a wide range of sources um, liturgical, evangelical, Eastern Orthodox, Catholic. I've drawn from the Church Fathers going all the way back to about 100 AD, right up to contemporary writers. And I've done this because the river of God is wide and deep and diverse and rich. Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, he said it to the Ephesians, it's implied through his writing that, that we are enriched by one another. He said to the Romans, I want to come that, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He said to the Corinthians, the church is like a body and we need every part. He said to the Ephesians, and when those Parts come together, they're strengthened, the joints are strengthened, and and the body builds itself up. We, We are poorer for not going wide and deep. We need the revelation that God has shown to different streams through the centuries. And so that's going to be some of the underpinning of all that we're going to look at over the coming weeks and months. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you next week. God bless you.
0: Amen. Um, I got some questions for you. A little bit of pushback, by the way. Uh, we're. Uh, I'm able to see your comments from here. We got a nice screen here where I can see your comments. So if you guys have questions or comments on any of this stuff, feel free to throw them up there, and we'll discuss that. Um, but just before we do that, I just we always like to just take a, a brief pause and talk about something that God's doing through Impact Nations right now. So this week's episode is brought to you by our skills and business programs. Uh, we are seeing incredible fruit in many countries right now around the world with our skills and business programs. Uh, I was just just down the hall uh, in the last two days working with Isaiah on the uh, the budgets and proposals for the School of Purpose this year. Um, right now, the um, the sewing school is going on in India. We've got the Elevate uh, program happening in Kampala as well. Uh, elsewhere in Uganda, we just had 35 students graduate from a one-week business course. 20 of them are right now drafting their business plans to uh, gain a microloan. This program is massive. You know, at at Impact Nations, we talk about rescuing lives. And very often that means rescuing people from very desperate situations, uh, getting immediate relief to them, uh, removing them from perhaps very dangerous situations. Uh, But the next step is to begin to give them hope for what's next. Uh, We need to rescue them into something. And we're rescuing them into the kingdom of God, which is so much bigger. You always say this, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than we realize. And that's something we're telling these, many of them, very young people. We've got uh, pregnant girls as young as 13 that we're rescuing from their abusers uh, and bringing them into hope, into a new life in Christ. But part of that means we're giving them the training they're going to need to go and flourish in the world to go and either find employment or start their own business. Um, Annabelle, my friend from Kampala, she's got this amazing plan this year. She and her team, she's got an incredible team that are – gonna be get reaching 450 young people, Mm. uh, in multiple locations around Kampala. 450 in one year are gonna receive a message of hope. Absolutely. And they're gonna receive the practical skills that they need to go and find employment. Uh, they are going to be getting this basic business training. And, and one of the things I love about what they're doing this year is they're actually, they're gonna be teaching the parents too, because what we learned over, we've been doing this for a while now and what we've observed is, uh, oftentimes, the parents, um, because they don't understand these principles, uh, they will take from the these young women that we've trained up to help them to get this business started, and they'll actually take the capital that yeah. they needed, and now there's no business anymore. It, you know, maybe the baby needs formula, something like that. They just don't understand. So by including the parents in this, uh, they can they can really begin to see multi generational change, which it, is just it, you
1: awesome. said. That just with what Annabelle's doing, and I know we're doing this in lots of places, yeah. uh, 450 yeah. gals, and yeah. when we started with Annabelle on this program, hmm. how many How many was she working with or were we all working with?
0: I, I believe the very first time we did the School of Purpose, it was for 20 girls. Wow. Uh, and now and we're up to 450. 450. Yeah. And they've been able to scale in a lot of different ways. And we'll talk more in, in other weeks about some of the skills they're learning and how they go about that. But the way they've adapted, believe it or not, COVID actually was, uh, a huge catalyst in that expansion. A lot of people were contracting their programs during COVID. Believe it or not, the school purpose actually expanded considerably during the, during the pandemic, um, because it brought a new awareness of a new approach for them. So, um, Look, if you'd like to learn more about the skills and business program at Impact Nations, just head to impactnations.com slash skills. You can read all about it there. There's a number of vocational schools and various programs that we've got listed that you can read about as well. Um... Speaking bluntly, this year, our budget for the skills and business programs is probably – and we get new creative proposals all the time, so it may creep up from here – but at least $80,000 for the year of 2021. Uh, So we need your help. Uh, If you would like to partner with Impact Nations, and really you're partnering with people like Annabelle, who just the Lord has given them a mission uh, to rescue lives in incredible ways that will be very long-lasting and sustainable – if you'd like to partner with us, head to impactnations.com slash skills. You can give right there. Uh, we would just so appreciate your partnership. So, now let's talk a little bit about Matthew. And I'd like to talk a little bit about actually, you you finished with that uh, that story of uh, of origin or that that quote from origin about reading scriptures at a deeper level and the the danger of reading it only literally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I like to tell people when I'm teaching people to read the Bible initially, I'm, I am I talked to them about the context, understanding the literary context, uh, the the historical context, and I love to learn about the historical context. You were talking about the historical critical method. Is that the same thing? as just simply reading things in context, or is the historical critical method something different? Hmm.
1: Or does it include that? Okay. First of all, we're going to go a lot deeper into this next week yeah. when Brad comes. But just... Just to clarify a few things, the uh, you know it's interesting. Elsewhere, Origin said, "If you only understand the Scripture at a literal level, you haven't understood it yet." Yeah, referring to any passage. Um, and so the historical critical method, as I briefly said today, very much came out of the Enlightenment, and by the nineteenth century, it had come into theology. That that it that. The passage could be, as it were, dissected. If they, they looked at something called form criticism, they looked at, at what was the structure, how did it fit uh, with other places, yeah. uh, which isn't as contextual as it sounds. They're trying to find different ways, um, redating, all kinds of things. Um, and and they looked at it, yeah, the history, uh, form criticism, They they looked at it uh literary which is a little bit of my background as you know as yeah. a former English lit and history teacher but but it's been like i said it's like they fragmented it deconstructed it yeah and uh and i think that there's parts of it that are good but what it does if it doesn't if you don't go from the literal you just stop there yeah. the the church fathers taught us to go from that Uh, A a literal reading to a moral reading. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? How does this apply individually to the the church? Um, Because I'm going to talk more uh, my next session on Matthew writing this very much for the church. He was probably part of the church in Antioch. Um, And then so we've got the literal, we've got the moral, and then we've got what they call the spiritual reading. How does this unlock more of the mystery of Christ? Mm. So that's... In a real small nutshell. Yeah, you,
0: uh, as you were teaching, you talked about the the transcendent or mystical. Are we are we missing that? Like the uh, is there a, I, you know, I talked about historical context or literal context. Is there a mystical context then that that we need
1: to discover? Yeah, there is, and and I'm not going to try to unpack that all right here. <laughs> That's for but there next is. Week and the week after. Uh, you know, I touched on it in in uh, that last book I did the, the on the Beatitudes, yeah. looking at church fathers who who understood, yeah, what they called a mystical level or a, or a spiritual reading, yeah. and that has got all kinds of pieces to it, um, but it's recognizing that there are multiple, multiple levels uh, of meaning that they insisted that the Spirit of God put into... Every part of the scripture.
0: All right. So here's my pushback. If we're looking for deeper levels, deeper meaning, more, you know, a more spiritual reading, a more mystical reading of the scriptures, are we not in in danger of entering into that territory that everybody calls the God told me itis? Uh, If I read this passage and it speaks to me in this way, uh, how can anybody argue with it? Well, this is, I'm reading it at a mystical level, so what do you know about it? Uh,
1: Yeah. How do we guard against that? And that (laughs) goes back in the, in the, the writings that goes all the way back uh, to, I think Irenaeus, which is, you know, uh, the late one hundreds. I think he was about 175. Um, They believed that scripture interprets scripture. Okay. And, there is allegory. Uh, Paul, Galatians four twenty four, presents says th- th- that God's given us an allegory in in uh, uh, come on help Sarah and I've suddenly gone blank. But Abraham? Uh, no, H- Hagar. <laughs> oh, okay. Hagar has given us a, a, an, a, an allegory. Mm. So um, there, that's the real answer. Scripture interpret scripture. These. Church fathers, uh, they were not just kind of writing off mystical experience. Mm-hmm. They went deeply, deeply, deeply into the scriptures. Yeah. If somebody's new to the scriptures,
0: yeah. and this is part of my role, is just, just you know discipling people who are fairly new to the Bible. How can we instill this in them from the beginning? What? How do we? Uh, how do we help them to read at that level? As you said, Scripture interprets Scripture. They're new to the Scripture, so they're not going to, you know, they don't even know how to manage the cross-references yet. Is, is it too early? Do we just, let's focus on a literal reading at this point and we'll get there?
1: No, I think from the beginning, although obviously the the water's shallow, for a relatively <laughs> speaking, for a new believer, but I think we take them, and I think you do this with those that you disciple, but... Um, Okay, what does this literally mean? What does it mean? You always start there. yeah. And then to take us into that moral reading, what what does this call you to? Where, you know, there's this dynamic tension, this yeah. distance between the Word and us. And, okay, and, and the Word isn't going to move, <laughs> so <Yeah>. it's us. <laughs> so then, okay, what does this call you to? And then thirdly, from the beginning, get them to... to Pray over that word. What is God saying to you yeah. about that passage? Yeah. And uh, that's beyond the moral, you know, mm-hmm. I need to love my neighbor, but, yeah. but what's he saying? So, yeah, I would say from the beginning, start yeah. that pattern.
0: But, and that's where discipleship is so important to, to be walking with somebody through that journey because... Uh, If God starts saying to them, well, what this really means is that you need to eat more peanut butter for breakfast, then that's where there's a redirect. And, you know, we can, as those who are doing the discipling, can say, ah, let me, let's turn to this, this passage, uh, and let me show you something about what the scripture has to say about the scripture.
1: You know, it's interesting. I just thought just now, but as there is a turning. For many, many people, many believers are turning again to the Scripture, looking for deeper relationship with the Lord. There's also a rise of uh, spiritual directors, Mm. like a spiritual mentor, where people can walk with someone to help them on their journey of going deeper. Uh, I listened to two different friends talk about their um, this week. Their encounters with spiritual directors, yeah. I think that's on the rise,
0: yeah, uh, and I love what you said just a few minutes ago in this right here, as you were talking about, the river is wide, and this is a journey we walk together, mm-hmm. uh, investigating the scriptures is never something that should be done alone, uh, but instead, with the aid of those who have been you know walking through the scripture for nineteen hundred years, as you say um. But even those who are walking, you know, walking right with now us. and seeing
1: different things. Yeah. I'm sadly, when I came to Christ, um, it's getting close to 45 years ago. Yeah. I was in a particular stream that mistrusted all other streams. Hmm. We have the greatest revelation, and in, and so instead of being suspect of other streams, we need to celebrate them. Hmm. Say, whoa, you've yeah. got that, and you've got that. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Huh, this has been really good stuff today. Uh, I think the one last thing I want to touch on, and somebody brought it up in the, in the comments there, about entering the Gospels with a sense of awe, approaching yeah. the Gospels with a sense of awe. Uh, do you know, if you had to guess, what's dulling our senses to the, to the Scriptures and perhaps specifically to the Gospels? Because uh, I'm not sure that that is a common experience nowadays, to approach them with awe.
1: Well, there's probably lots of things. Um, One, I think, again, that historical critical method has led to uh, a flat plane of the Scriptures that all are equal, that, you know, we read whatever. You know, we read Obadiah the same as we read the Gospels. So there's that. Secondly is just, uh, and you and I were talking about this earlier today, is the access we all have we've got the bible in our back pocket and probably 40 different translations you and i know that in in our ministry with impact nations we have we have partners in various countries saying please can you yeah. get us the scriptures yes. uh, we we saw a amazing i think we could call it a revival of about 1400 prisoners in the biggest maximum security prison last year mm. that was interrelated with please get us the Bible. Yeah. So I think that there's that. And I also think, frankly, and remember, I'm speaking as a, as a pastor, former pastor now for many, many years. I don't think we teach our people to um, to enter into the Gospels with a sense of awe and holiness. That for one thing, I believe we should be reading something from the Gospels when we gather yeah. Every every week, gather something from the Gospels because, as I said earlier, I mean, they are about the one we are following. Yeah. They're his words. Um, and so I think that there's that. I think we also can teach the church a, a bit of a, a sense of reverence. Yeah. You know, I, I like that when I visit or speak at a, an Anglican church or, you know, I preach to Catholic and Anglican and... Lutheran and stuff, that when it's time to read the Gospels, they stand. And it isn't religious, it's a reminder, we're on holy ground here. Yeah. So that would be my answer. Yeah,
0: good. Well, there you have it. Thus concludes episode 5-1 of the Impact Nations podcast. I hope you guys are as excited as I am for this this year's season, really. I, th- I think it's going to go on for quite some time, uh, and I'm I'm really, really anticipating some amazing things. I'm looking forward to just reading the Gospel of Matthew in a whole new light. Next week, do come back at uh, three o'clock mountain time, uh, mountain daylight time, uh, and we will be having... Brad Jerzek, Dr. Brad. Yeah. Uh, I may just call him Doc the whole time. Uh, He'd love that. Yeah. So uh, come back, uh, see us again, uh, engage in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to have a great chat with uh, Brad, but he's also going to do some teaching, I think. is. Oh, as, yeah. Yeah. He'll be do, Absolutely. doing some straight up teaching and then we'll we'll engage in some, some discussion after that as yeah. well. Um, if you're on YouTube right now, uh, do be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't already, and then once you hit subscribe, a little bell shows up, hit the bell too, because that'll give you notifications when we do go live. Uh, and you know what? Uh, now that we've got this amazing space, we are uh, going to be going live more often. I think yep. sometimes, I, my office is right next to this one, and sometimes when I get off the phone with a partner and something amazing's happening, I may just quick hop on YouTube Live and, and tell you all about it. So, uh, do hit the bell so you get those, uh, those notifications. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, awesome. Uh, you can uh, subscribe at impactnations.com slash podcast and write in questions we would love to hear from you guys even if you just got comments about uh, about the the show write to podcast at impactnations.com we'd love to hear from you uh, we will see you next week have a good one.